Hey, how's it going, everybody? This is Chris, and welcome to episode 60 of X-Lapsed. And, uh, yeah, the uh, the throat is still acting up. Um, I'm starting to think that maybe I'm actually just getting sick. Uh, maybe it's not allergies. Maybe I'm just getting sick or transforming into uh, Wolfman Jack. I'm uh, doing my best not to. I would really prefer not to have that happen, but... Uh, we're gonna we're gonna push through. We're gonna push through. I do apologize if this is uh, very off-putting <laughs> or sounds terrible. I, I very much apologize and uh, appreciate uh, you all hanging in. But uh, we are gonna be taking a look at New Mutants Volume Four, Number Eight today. Now this had an April 2020 cover date. The story is called A Hunting We Will Go, written by Ed Brisson with art by Marco Fiala. Colors, Carlos Lopez. Letters, VCs, Travis Lanham. Designs, Tom Muller, head of X's Hickman. Edits, Bisa White Sabolski. Cover price, $3.99. Went on sale February 26th of 2020. Now we open with a roll call. And it's uh it's our B cast. It's not our uh, it's not our A cast. <laughs> it's uh those creepy twins, Maxime and Manon, uh, Sebastian Shaw, Magma, Armor, and Boom Boom. Of course, this is followed by two pages of credits. Now we open in Blackstone on Krakoa. This is home of the Black King of the Hellfire Trading Company, and of course that is Sebastian Shaw. Now he's met by Maxime and Manon, who had just filled him in on the whole Bohem cartel dealie that went down in Pilger, Nebraska. We saw during the uh, the three-part farm story, the uh, the Bohems came in and uh, well, they did they did some damage. Um, now Shaw assures them that he'll take care of everything as he saunters through a gateway. From here, we shift scenes to the Amazon rainforest in Brazil. It's here that we meet a young mutant who has similar features to Nightcrawler in, like, the color and amount of digits department. Very similar uh, hands and toes, you know, fingers and toes. Now, this, this young mutant is running away from something, and we get a look at it. It's something that looks like sort of a mixture of a werewolf and uh, Predator X from around the time of Messiah Complex, probably, what, ten years ago? Uh, now, just as this beast is about to pounce on the poor little mutant, it's impaled by a whole bunch of arrows. Someone off-panel assures the mutant child that they are now safe. Now, our next stop is Nova Roma, which was a, I don't know, never all that interesting a place to me. But uh, for this issue, it's really only there as a backdrop, so really, no harm, no foul. Now, here, Magma's there, of course, and she's with Boom Boom and Armor. She's leading them through the city. Uh, Boom Boom is complaining that she was dragged away from a killer party for this trip, and uh, yeah, we we get it, Tabitha. You could you could stop it, please, please stop it. 
Now, our trio is greeted by Amara's father, Lucius Akia, and uh, we get a you know sort of touching father-daughter reunion here. And we learn that Lucius has called them because there was something that he felt the mutants needed to see. But first, let's let us see something. It's going to be an info page all about Nova Roma, which. I mean, I suppose it's a pretty good use of one of these info pages, since I gotta assume that a good portion of folks reading this issue have probably never heard of the place before, so... Eh, I'll give that one to you. Now we resume with the girls being led into a room where they're introduced to that uh, nightcrawlery mutant boy from a few scenes ago. Now he tells Magma that he and his have been trying to access the Krakoan gateways ever since the professor announced that Krakoa was, you know, a thing. But they keep getting attacked by the Predator Wolf X's, or whatever they're going to wind up being called here in the book. Uh, he says that many of his friends have been eaten by these things. At this point, uh, Lucius, he uh, talks about how the mutants have really uh, kicked up a hornet's nest with this whole Krakoa thing. And he says that it's led to many innocent lives being lost. Now, Magma... She doesn't even acknowledge this statement and just vows to the boy that she'll see to it that he and his friends will find safe passage to the, uh, you know, the mutant homeland. And so our girls start the their long, hot, sweaty hike to the gateway where the predator wolf exes have been lingering. And Boom Boom complains the entire way. Uh, two panels and six hours later, they do arrive at the uh, the proper portal. Now, boom, boom, she threatens to go home since she's all gross and covered in mosquito bites. For whatever reason, Magma doesn't want her to go. Uh, I mean, she's kind of a pain in the ass. You might as well just let her go. They argue for a bit, with Amara appealing to Tabitha's need for a win. You know, after that bungle deal in Pilgrim, Nebraska, she suggests that the uh, amalgamated young mutants of Krakoa Incorporated need, you know, they need a check in the W column, right? They... They didn't really come away from that one on top. You know, that was just a, an eked-out... I don't even know if we'd call it a win, considering uh, what happened to Beak's family. But, uh, yeah, they, they need a win. And this could be that win. Just then, a Predator Wolf X leaps out of the brush, and we get five pages of mutant-on-beast action. Now, after initially struggling, Armor figures out that she could just tear them in half. She uses her, you know, her big armor bubble and just rips them apart. And Tabitha is able to toss a time bomb down one of their throats. The Predator Wolf X's, of course. Magma just kind of flies around like a less useful human torch here. So she gets batted around and doesn't do a whole heck of a lot. From here we get a scene shift, and it's a scene that's uh, actually worth reading. Now we have Sebastian Shaw. He visits the head of the Bohem Cartel in Costa Perdida. Now, they exchange some phony pleasantries, and they discuss the mishap in Pilgrim, Nebraska. Now, the big Bohem baddie here is Ezekiel L. Ray Dengra, and he assumes that Shaw is here to cut a black market deal on some of the Krakoan magic meds. Shaw assures him that this is not the case at all. Now, L. Ray does not appreciate Shaw's tone, and I gotta say, if that's the case, you're really not gonna like what's gonna happen next. You see, Shaw tells El Rey that he's already cut a backroom deal with the Carrasco cartel, which just happens to be Bohem's biggest rival. Now, with this deal, Carrasco will be able to pretty much take over the area, rendering the Bohems more or less impotent. Really good scene here. I really enjoyed this. 
Though I will say I wish the art was a little less cartoony because uh, it's making me feel like I'm reading a story out of X-Men Unlimited. <laughs> I mean, this whole issue is kind of like that, but uh, uh, the art here really doesn't fit the uh, the import of the scene. And just like just Shaw being kind of a badass here, the art is not doing it any favors. So we rejoin our young mutants who are flying a jet full of mutant children back to Krakoa. It's uh, the Pack Rat 2 or whatever it is. Now, Tabitha thanks Amara, suggesting that, yeah, you know what? She needed this. She needed this win. So, all good. You know, hunky-dory. Very good. From here, we get an info page, and it's a page out of the diary of Tabitha Boom Boom Smith. And a lot of the, st- a lot of the stuff that I'm seeing in here, I feel like it's supposed to come across as far more funny than it actually is. Um... Among other things, she's kind of miffed that Wolverine and Beast have usurped the X-Force name. She mentions that like three or four times, and uh, first time it was semi-cute. The other, the remaining ones were, were, were less so. So, back to comics, and we wrap up this issue with just some random blonde woman approaching the carcass of the Predator Wolf X. And uh, she says, whoever did this will pay in kind. And, uh, you know, as our camera pans out... We can see that she's surrounded by a lot of creepy-looking beasties. And that is New Mutants number 8. Next episode, we'll be talking about X-Force number 8. But uh, first, let's uh, let's try to talk about this issue, because uh, there really isn't a whole lot to say. But we will, as always, do our best. Okay, so uh, one thing I think I can say with uh, 100% certainty was that uh, this was an issue of New Mutants. Um, ask me in 20 minutes what it was about, and I'll probably shoot you a blank stare. But it was something that exists, and something that we just read. That said, I really don't know what to say about it. Um, I didn't dislike it. I'm not mad at it. It's just a story, and uh, and it's a story that could have fit into any eight pages of any random issue of X-Men Unlimited. Really not a whole lot of meat on this bone here. Um, and uh, I don't want to say it felt like a waste of time, because, I mean, we're reading comics here, right? Um, but, yeah, just not great. Not great. But, I'm, but again, not mad at it. One thing I will say is that it feels, and I mean, I, I don't have any professional training in the writing or or creation of a story department, but uh, to me, this feels sort of truncated. This feels like maybe it was supposed to run a couple of issues, and uh, and again, this is me projecting, and uh, and I really have no insider information here, but it feels like to me, I mean, the pacing is sort of all over the place, you know. When we opened and were introduced to Nova Roma, I was expecting this to be the first chapter of the next arc. Right? It doesn't look like that's going to be the case. It looks like this is a one-and-done for now. But we get these like weird little like story spurs here, like things that could have been dug into deeper. Um, I, I don't want to say we had friction between Amara and her father, but there was that odd comment about the mutants kicking over a hornet's nest and how you know, he was worried about the innocents and stuff like that. That goes nowhere. It was just like a comment, and she didn't even acknowledge it. Amara was just like, eh, okay, we'll help you. You know, she didn't even really acknowledge that he was, you know, attempting to hold the mutant's feet to the fire, in a way. 
Uh, we get Boom Boom, of course, being really irritating, but she complains about having to trek through the rainforest, right? Now you figure, okay, well, she's going to complain here, so this is going to be a long trek. This is going to be like a safari, right? But the discussion, this, this, this argument, is interrupted by the fact that they arrived at their destination. Uh, they, that, we, it, did we miss? Like, I don't know. Just feels like there could have been more to that. And uh, though, I mean, search me, I couldn't tell you what it would be. But it just feels like we have all this build up with the complaints, and it's like, bingo, bango, we're there already. Um, then we get the Predator Wolf X's jumping out. And we jump to like five pages, five entire pages of very decompressed battle. And then it's just over. You know, the, the kids win. Uh, the, you know, uh, what's-her-face armor rips one in half and Tabitha throws a bomb down one's throat. And that's that. Um, the kids are back on the pack rat and everything's just, you know, good in the hood. It just doesn't feel like this one played out the way maybe it was intended to or just didn't play out right to me. Um, of course, we do get that twist with the blonde lady, but I can't say as I'm all that interested in seeing the X-Men fight amorphous quadra- quadrupedal monsters. I don't know. Uh, this just feels like a... a it, this isn't bad, it's unsatisfying. Maybe unsatisfying is the best way to put it here. Just a, a real unsatisfying bit of business. Um, feels sort of like a, like the creative team is saying, like, Hey guys, remember Nova Roma from the old New Mutants comic? Well, here it is. And that's that. Um, now, on the other side here, we do get the cutaway with Sebastian Shaw, where, which is where I feel like this issue did shine. And uh, and if you were to press me in 20 minutes about what this issue is about, this would be the scene I'd remember. Um, I think this is, the, you know, Sebastian Shaw sticking it to the uh, Bohem Cartel. I thought that was really cool, really badass. And, uh, and I mean, we know Shaw is a jerk. We know that he's not hes not a good guy. But I can't deny that I really enjoyed the scene, and I liked seeing him play and then taunt the Bohems the way he did. Just a real no-nonsense kind of guy, and I uh, really, really thought that was, was a very strong part of this issue, and an otherwise uh, totally skippable issue. Um... I did mention in the synopsis, but uh, this scene would have benefited greatly with different, less wacky, cartoony art. This is the Shaw scene, of course. Just to tighten it up a little bit, it looked... It just didn't look great. Overall, though, uh, what can we say? I can go back to the beginning of our our fake-ass review portion and say, yes, this was an issue of New Mutants. Uh, and let's hope for better and more substantial stories in the future. But uh, it was a thing. Um, I hope I hope people enjoyed it. <laughs> I I didn't enjoy it, but I didn't hate it either. So it was just a just a thing, just a thing that happened to us. But uh, that's all I got to say about New Mutants number eight. But before we go, let's dip into the mailbag here. It's a uh, I think we only got one letter to go through. So uh, let's get right in there. Now this is from Damien. And he's talking about X-Force number 6. Now, you might remember, I quite enjoyed X-Force number 6. If uh, if you haven't listened to that episode, or if you're skipping around, or if you just forgot what it's about, it was about the uh, the nanofluorites, the uh, biological um, 
like nanotech that uh, a small country was trying to corner the market on and and it was actually something that could compete with the mutant, the mutant magic meds you know and i thought it was a really really good really really good story in that it uh, it feels like it could have propelled so many things here so let's hear what damien has to say about it he opens with you seem to enjoy this one a lot more than me I couldn't get beyond the pretension of the orchestral opening. It felt very Fallen Angelsy, And what Damien's referring to is, early in the issue, Beast is so up his own ass uh, that he is basically referring to himself guiding the X-Force team into battle as that of being like an orchestral conductor. And he talks about the instruments that each of the characters would be. You know, like Wolverine was... Was he like drums and cymbals or something? And and Gene was like this fine cello. So, so bad. Um, and I tell you, the opening, I it, it almost physically hurt me. Um, so horribly pretentious. It actually did give me a headache. Because I was sitting there, right? And I try not to be... You know, I don't want to be the guy who nitpicks, especially when it's a book. Like, I, I talk about X-Force being very forced, right? And I don't want that to become a thing that I am that I expect myself to find in every issue. I don't want to be the guy who's going to nitpick this series a little bit extra just so I can, just so I can fulfill, like, the boxes that I want to check off when I make fun of something, you know? So I'm sitting there reading this, and uh, we get this... You know, Wolverine's a boom, 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 and uh, and what's his face? Quentin's like a, a saxophone and all this stupid crap. And I'm sitting there trying to figure out how I could spin it. You know, how can I share this scene with with, with you all and not <laughs> and not sound like I'm just like tearing it apart? I just uh, it was really uh, a challenge. Uh, thankfully, I loved the rest of the issue, so I was able to get past it. But uh, I could totally see where you could read those first, like, three or four pages and be like, okay, done. You know, I'm, I'm bagging and boarding this one, putting it away. I am not going any further with Beast, the, uh, you know, the, the Boston Philharmonic uh, orchestral leader here. I, I don't even know if they have an orchestra. I'm just talking out my ass at this point. I'm sorry. I'm not feeling well. But, uh, yes. Definitely very pretentious. Uh, Damien continues, You're right that there were good ideas in the plot. The plant and human hybrids as villains worked well and opens up ideas for the future. Your speculation about future plots was very interesting and makes for many future stories. And definitely, um, I'm really looking forward to see like how and, I mean, if this plays out. It's just a whole whole other layer added to the uh, doomed futures suggested during Powers of X. I, I really like... I mean, we never heard of this before. So this is all new and uh, very, very dangerous. So really, really enjoyed it. Damien continues. You mentioned the monsters remind you of the Martian Manhunter. I was reminded of a storyline from Shadow of the Bat by Alan Grant and Dave Taylor where Poison Ivy teamed up with the Floronic Man to create a new, more dangerous form of marijuana. Floro is depicted as a constantly changing plant creature who was permanently high and looked very similar to the creatures here. And I'm not familiar with that storyline. Um, though, I was... 
early on, I was a huge fan of Shadow of the Bat. Um, it was like my first Bat book. And it was, of course, I was able to get the number one. You know, it came out, what, around the time of Batman Returns, I believe. So summer in 90, summer 92, maybe? Somewhere around there? But I remember buying the first issue here and just totally just falling in love with it. I felt like I was on the ground floor, you know? And this is the first book that I bought with, like, an eye toward collecting Batman comics. Um, Rather than just picking up something that had a cool cover or just something that, like, my mom or dad just bought and, you know, dropped in my lap. Here, read this, you know, be quiet. But uh, this was the first book that I actually bought. And I got so sucked in by the opening arc, which was the uh, the last Arkham. But uh, it was also where I realized that there were, like, so many Batman books, but none of them really advanced, like, the A-plot, you know? They were all just kind of there. Uh, one I remember very, very vividly is the cliffhanger for the penultimate chapter uh, in Shadow of the Bat 3. And we have Batman, he's just about to be pounced on by, like, every inmate at Arkham, right? Now, this scene actually managed to kind of get under my skin, and, like, I was really trying to figure... I was doing, like, weird mental gymnastics to try to think about how, ways they could actually write their write themselves out of this. So then I go to the comic shop, and I see that there are another three and four Batman books that come out that month. And so I'm picking them up, right? I'm picking them up to see if, like, there's any hints as to what happened in, in Arkham. And, uh, and they're, they're their own thing. All, they're all their own thing. And, I mean... I was still very new to the fandom. I was new to the hobby. I was not accustomed to there being uh, several stories running concurrently in in like a family of titles, you know? I was just figuring that everything kind of fed into itself and everything would reference everything else. But, I mean, I'm looking at like a Batman book where he's fighting the Electrocutioner and then a detective book where he's fighting the Penguin and, and then there's Shadow of the Bat where he's locked up in Arkham. It's like, well, what the hell is this all about? And uh, and I asked the guy at the comic shop, like, which was the main Batman book, right? Which is the main one? Which one mattered the most? And he kind of, like, shrugged me off. He's like, nah. And, and, I mean, at the end of the day, that's the right answer, right? I mean, which one is the main Batman book back in 1991, 1992? There's a, you know, I, I couldn't tell you. I guess it's a bit of my child childish naivete that uh, that died <laughs> that day, and uh, and I had this like really sad realization that the story that I'd invested so much you know time and energy and emotion into reading and rereading and analyzing, I mean as much as a eleven or twelve year old can analyze a comic, um, I realized that it didn't matter. Uh, it made everything bat related feel like so cheap I mean I at the end of the day I was a dumb kid right so but that uh, Shadow of the Bat is one that anytime I see it in the cheapo bins I'll just look at it and kind of kind of shake my head because uh, it uh, it made and broke my the bat fan inside me for in a lot of ways uh, Damien continues reading this I'm pretty sure we're meant to see Hank as a villain he's so single-minded and ruthless Experimenting on living subjects is a bit of a moral uh, is a bit of a moral event horizon, and yeah, yeah, they're really doing a number on poor old Hank here, aren't they? Um, I mean, as we mentioned before, first we start and he's a total like pretentious tool, <laughs> and then he's shown as a 
like a psychotic, evil, mad scientist. Um, and he's driven by, I mean, whatever. I'm not sure what he's even driven by here. He's just, really, he's just engaging in a whole lot of self-justification, you know, like talking about the righteousness of what he's doing. But uh, that's a that's a hell of a slippery slope, and it's not a good look. And I think I said uh, when we talked about this issue that I thought maybe this was headed for like a redemption arc for Beast, though. I mean, I doubt that's coming anytime soon. And, uh, and even if it does... At this point, it'll probably be written by Percy, which will be as ham-fisted and, as, and purple as everything else he's jammed into this book. So, I mean, what are you going to do? Uh, Damien continues, My biggest problem with the story was Jean Grey-related. Did no one tell Percy that it was Jean who suggested to kill no human as a key law of Krakoa? She strikes me as the least likely X-Man to do anything just because she's told to. It's so out of character for, for her to blindly follow Beast's orders. Based on what has happened in the series so far, I would expect Gene to be getting Hank removed from the security team because he's gone too far. And yeah, you and me both. Um, this felt especially ruthless. And I mean, even though you know Gene did express concern and reluctance and ultimately regret and annoyance, she still did it, right? I mean, she still did it, and I... I don't. I can't. I don't see Jean going there, right? I don't think. I don't see her that being part of her character, and uh, it was very disappointing to see it here. I mean, hell, I mentioned during the discussion of that issue that I had a problem with Jean cursing. You know, I mean, so I had a problem with. I thought that was out of character, much less her actually ending lives. The whole scene just felt wrong, and it's one of those things that it's kind of. It's kind of hard to walk that one back, you know? I mean, she did it. It's done. She can say she didn't want to do it, but she still did it. And uh, not a fan of that. Not a fan of that at all. Um, it's uh, This is one of those stories where... One of those scenes, I should say, where it's like, I want that... Uh, I want the uh, the Evan Bevins theory to, to play out, where uh, these are just clones we're reading about. But... Uh, I, I would imagine a lot of people would be very upset if that actually came to pass. But uh, back to Damien. He says, I love the art. Steven Segovia drew the issue of Hellions I read as I was following X of Tens, and he's a real talent. Great action scenes and wonderful character work. They really have a good bunch of artists working for the X office at the moment. And I want to say the first time I saw Segovia was over at DC, probably on one of the post-rebirth titles. And uh, I was instantly impressed. Um, really, really like him. He's a hell of a talent. And I'm happy to hear that we'll be seeing more of his work here in the X books. Um, and you're right. For the most part, uh, the X art teams are very solid. I, you know, Marco Fiala on this issue of New Mutants, not necessarily my cup of tea, but, uh, but at the same time, we've come, or they've come a long way. Uh, it feels like for the middle of the 2010s or so, the X books were... They were like given to all the newbies, like his tryout books. Like they didn't care about the X Men books, you know. We had we'd have A list creators, you know, tenured creators, creators people have heard of, on the Avengers and on Spider Man, and and just the X Men would get whoever was left, and uh, I didn't think that was a I, I I really didn't like that. I mean, it was clear to to a lot of folks that the X Men were not. Uh, Marvel really didn't care about them because they, you know, they, 
Riri didn't have the movie rights, but uh, it, 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 made it, it made the line feel like an afterthought, and uh, it made the books feel kind of like tryout books. Uh, a lot of amateurish and uneven-looking books uh, happened in, you know, over the past 10 years in, in the X-Men books, but it's nice to see that we're getting steady teams of um, really, really fine talent here, and uh, I, I'm happy to hear that we're going to be seeing more of that as we as we continue our way through, but uh, thank you so much, Damien, for the letter, and uh, I do apologize for answering it in a raspy way. <laughs> But uh, if anyone else would like to write, uh, you could do so at Ace Comics on Twitter or at WeirdComicsHistory at gmail.com. You can find show notes and blog posts at Chris'sOnInfiniteEarths.com. We're on Facebook at 90sXmen, and the entire audio archives are available at ChrisAndReggie.Podbean.com. I think that's where we'll put a pin in it for now. Uh, I just want to thank everyone so much for listening and for tolerating my voice, or lack thereof, over the past several episodes. Uh, going to be drinking a lot of tea. Hopefully that'll help. Uh, but uh, but uh, definitely thank you all so much. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya. Oh